Today's show is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, sharing nothing but the best in whole grain nutrition and committed to their mission of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Greetings and welcome to Animal Instinct here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Celia Kutcher, also known as the Food Healer, and I am really excited about today's show. I am interviewing Jada Torin, producer and director of the beautifully, beautifully, gorgeously made documentary, Ketty, all about the cats. So I just want to get started and find out more about this film. So Jada, are you there? I'm here. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. And thank you so much for taking time from your hectic schedule to talk to me about your film. I'm so in love with this documentary. I can't even tell you. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's something that, I, I mean, I'm really like, everybody needs to see this movie. I mean, I'm so excited about it. <laughs> um, I think it's really cool because it's, you know, it's a film that really looks at life through the eyes of a cat. And we haven't really had stuff like that. Or if they've done it, it's been kind of like Disneyfied, you know? And so yeah. I, I just have a million questions for you. So can we just get started? And can I start interrogating <laughs> sure. you? Thanks. So, first thing, can you tell us where the film takes place? The film takes place on the streets of Istanbul, Turkey. And why <laughs> and, is that? Um, in current day, current day Turkey, we were filming over the last couple of years, but really over the summer of 2014. And why did you decide to choose Istanbul? Well, Istanbul, first of all, I grew up there and I grew up with these cats, um, but also because... Uh, the in, the relationship that people have with street cats and the the sort of naturalness of street cats to that geography, it's very rare. I mean, it's 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 uh, all across what is modern day Turkey, uh, and now actually I'm really excited because I think a couple of weeks ago there was a National Geographic article about a new DNA uh, study that they did about the origins of what we call domesticated cats, mm -hmm. um, being from the Fertile Crescent, which cool. is really, you know, the southeast corner of Turkey, from like nine, ten thousand years ago. So now I can say with somewhat scientific <laughs> certainty that these animals are uh, natural habitants of, inhabitants of that part of the world. And in Istanbul, you really feel how, how they've been around for, for so long with coexisting with people in such a big city. Yeah, it's, I went to Turkey, God, I went to Turkey a long time ago. <laughs> I think it was the late 90s. And it was absolutely beautiful. And I'd been dying to go to the Blue Mosque forever. And so we made it to Istanbul. We went to Hagia Sophia and the Blue Mosque. And it was, it was really wild to see all the cats because the cats are all just kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, hi. You know, like, this is where I live and this is what I do. It wasn't like a typical, like, New York City or, you know, American stray cat that's kind of like, oh, God, I don't want to come near you because I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I really felt like they were like part of the population there. It was really nice. And, and they, you're absolutely right. They, they, that's exactly what they are. So it's, it's, it, it was very interesting thing to me when I, as a family, when we started moving around the world, uh, when I was 11, we, we left and we would come back every summer. And the one thing that um, I noticed that was missing in, in other places where we lived, whether it was New York or London or Boston, was the was the cats. There were no street cats. And I would meet a lot of people who would say, oh, I don't like cats. And I would ask them why, and they would reference one cat. Yeah. And, I mean, that's possible. If you only meet one cat, it's possible that you might meet a cat you don't like. Totally. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that's the whole... <laughs> 
there are, I mean, there's so individuals, there's such individuals that it's possible, you know, it's like, it's almost like a book. It's like, I find it funny when people say I don't like cats um, in a general term because it's almost like saying I don't like reading, I don't like books. It's totally. Obviously you haven't met, you haven't met one that, that stole your heart, you know. So in Istanbul you have this option. You have, whether your parents want to have cats in their house or whether, you know, um, there's no, the, nobody is in charge of you making friendships with cats because they're everywhere. And so that, that was like very shocking to me that they didn't exist elsewhere in the world. And so when time came, when this film could be made, and I have to say, I don't think we could have made this film even seven, eight years ago wow. um, without, you know, without the cat renaissance of online cat renaissance, mm-hmm. which was like five years ago. It made it all possible. So uh, that's why it's, it's so significant, this part of the world, this relationship with cats. There's, we can get more into it. There's more elements as to why this relationship is so um, so deeply rooted in Istanbul and in Turkey. I mean, one thing that I think that's really cool is that when I was, was over in Istanbul and Turkey, um, I did a Middle East trip with some members of my family. And so I had always wanted to go to Turkey. Like the minute I heard about Hagia Sophia and the Blue Mosque, I was like, I need to go here. So we did, <laughs> oh God, where'd we go? Turkey, Jordan, Israel, and Morocco. Oh. And... You know, it's it's different. It's not like, oh, my God, where am I? I mean, it's not so extremely different from America that it's kind of like, where, what is going on and all that. But the language was so different. And, you know, there's not a lot of English signage. So that was the first time that I'd ever traveled somewhere where you couldn't sneak through with, you know a smattering of the language of where you were. And I mean, there was no way possible for me to understand it. I speak Spanish, but I mean, needless to sure. say, Spanish and Turkish are like, you know, forget it. But the cats were kind of like, oh, look, it's my friends. Like they absolutely settled me. And I had a great time with them because it was just kind of like, oh, look, yay. You know, I mean, I'm the one that at a party, I'm playing with the cat or the dog. <laughs> I don't talk to the people. I'm busy with the animals. So for me, it was just a really nice thing. I'm so happy to hear, yeah, because it's, it's, you have a language with them that, you know, defies any human language. You can communicate with them on a level that, that is beyond words. So you can go all over the world and c- communicate with cats all over the world. That's beautiful. It's pretty wild. And, you know, when I first was there, one of my sisters was just like, oh, my God, don't pet the cats. And it was like, these cats are healthy. Like, they're not, like, <laughs> beat up, like, you know, like your normal street cat, which is, like, missing an ear and, like, through a fight, not through trap and neuter and all that. But, you know, they just look so messed up. And the cats, they are beautiful. I mean, some are a little bit scruffy, but nothing compared to what we got here, you know? And that level of pride sure. that they had as well, where they were confident, where the ones here are just like, oh, God, don't hit me. And there they're kind of like, get out of my way. <laughs> and I loved that. I thought it was so <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> That's right. They make you feel like they are true owners of of the city and of the place. Yeah. <laughs> they're like the tour guides. You know, it's like, oh, welcome to my town. Come with me. I'll show you some lovely things. You know, I loved it. It was it made it so much more special to me. And um, and then when this film came out, I completely freaked out. I was like, no, 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 no. Really? And so I have I mean, just for me and my own uh, experience with Istanbul, your movie is like. A beautiful postcard of my memories. And so I was really, really touched by the whole thing. And now, of course, I've been harassing every cat lover. I'm like, you need to see this film. It's beautiful. And so that's one of the things I wanted to talk about is the cinematography is just incredible. It's so beautiful. It almost looks like a dream. And it made the topic seem even more more magical and more poignant. I mean, what do you think cats mean to the people of Istanbul? Well, um, before I get into that, the, uh, the, in a way, the cinematography, um, my cinematographer and producing partner, Charlie Wupperman, and I, we were very keen to make sure that we portrayed the cats as subjects in their own world as opposed to just being objects in ours. Nice. So we, we decided we're going to film them the way that we would film human subjects. Mm-hmm. So we... We came up with, you know, all kinds of rigs, camera rigs that we could, you know, follow them around with. But the one that really worked in terms of their um, comfort level and also the access that they gave us mm-hmm. <laughs> was uh, was basically uh, a, a, a 
homemade uh, rig that Charlie made where he could put the camera on a platform, basically on a stick where he could re- control the focus, uh-huh. but have the camera cl- at, base, at, at human ankle height, nice. which gave us the sort of those over-the-shoulder shots yep. of cats because that's how you want to follow human subjects. You want to follow them exactly in this way, you know? So um, in many ways, and then also the, the aerials that we have in the film where you're able to soar above the city that's not so high where you're missing out on what's happening, but high enough that you're getting a scale of it. It's also, even though it's kind of like a bird's eye height, it's at the same time in many ways how cats experience the city because they're either on the roofs or they're on the the ground. So they navigate the city a lot on on rooftops, and I wanted to be able to capture that um, feeling as well. So it was really, we were guided by what the cats, we're doing in the city, how the cats were experiencing the city. So if the film feels, as you suggested, as a real, a bit more, you know, um, dreamlike, it's because that's how they showed up. They see the, the world, you know? So cool. Um, and and as, as to the people's relationship with cats, I mean, it's, it's very interesting because there's nobody who has, their, no like, people don't have a memory of Istanbul or even their own life, no matter where they come from in Turkey, where there isn't a cat. Wow. Everyone has a cat uh, memory. You know, there is no such world where they, you know, there are generations of generations. Like my grandmothers had stories about cats. And so it's, it, they're so ingrained in the culture, in the Turkish culture, because they're so ingrained in the in the geography of the country. Yeah. That there is no, you know, there. of course there are people who don't like them and there are people who hate them. They're very, very, in the, they're a lot a lot of them are in the minority. Um, and in fact, we tried very hard to engage people who we were told were cat haters or animal haters to see what their perspective could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but amazingly, they refused to make any kind of connection with us which is very interesting. <laughs> you know, I would even I would even like pretend like, oh, aren't these cats so annoying? There's so many cats. Let's talk about it. You know, and <laughs> they would run away because these are, you know. And I came to realize people who are not open, and I'm not talking about people who dislike animals. Of course, not everyone has to love or like animals. Yeah. That's a personal thing. But people who actively hate animals um, are also people who actively hate people totally. and hate life totally and, you know and and just don't want to open themselves up to anything so um but on the whole i would say the majority of people in turkey and in istanbul have uh pretty positive relationships with cats uh because it they've been part of their lives they've never been they've never known a life without cats yeah um, my sister for example doesn't really like cats because she's always surprised by them and she she finds that surprise unnerving, <laughs> but it says so much. It says so much about our character as well, and what what we're comfortable with. If we like cats or don't like cats, you know, it's very interesting to me. Um, but uh, but people, I think, you know, a lot of people reference the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. as a guideline to why they treat cats so well, because. There's many stories where the Prophet Muhammad, um, you know, uh, interacts with a cat and, exa- and sets an example of how to respect the other, uh, the wishes of the other through those interactions with the cat. Like, for example, there's a story of him where oh he apparently had a cat of his own where uh, the cat fell asleep on the skirts of his robe. And as he was going to go to uh, start the prayer, instead of waking up the cat, he cut the robe around the cat. <laughs> So he could leave the cat sleeping, and he went with a cut-up robe to prayer. And people reference these things often. Um, so there's that is that sort of spiritual Islam element to loving cats, but there's also you know a very tangible, um, immediate, uh, reciprocal uh, compassion and affection going on, um, where you're not being judged the same way that you would be judged by a human being. Yeah, and it's really freeing to people. It's so cool. I mean, it's so cool. And I mean, I mean, anybody that's a cat owner knows that whole fear of like, I have a Siamese at home that two seconds before I'm about to leave the house is when she wants to sit on my lap every time, you know, and it's just like, I've been here for four hours, but okay, seems good now. And then it's this whole mental warfare of, well, she's really comfortable. Do I make her move? Okay, I guess I'll sit here for 10 more minutes. I don't know what it is about cats that have like, 
oh no, you're under my control now, and I'm going to sit on you, and guess what? You're going to hang out now. <laughs> Whereas you know, with dogs, it's like, no, just go sit over there, and I need to run now. And you have this gorgeous, gorgeous quote that I wish I had written down about... Um, about cats and God. Do you have that on the top of your head? Because I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Sure. This uh, wonderful man that we interviewed on the street who um, who actually in the film is one of the guys from Bengu, uh, the, the one who talks about energy and everything. And he says that um, there's a saying about how cats know that God exists and that we are the middlemen to God's will. So unlike dogs who think humans are God, and because we feed them and take care of them, um, cats may come across ungrateful, or people might think that cats are ungrateful, but they're not ungrateful. They just know that we're middlemen. We're not God. I feel that's so true. Like, I feel that is so so true. true. (laughs) And that's what I have to say, like, this is what's so amazing about cats. They kind of put us in our place. You know, they remind us that we are animals. We're not, you know, we're not such special creatures that we have we that we there's an element of nature in all of us that we have to be reminded of and i think cats kind of put us in our place in that way Mm -hmm. i agree with you and i feel like your film has has caught that um energy and that emotion beautifully and it's just you know it's your work is spectacular i mean your work is truly truly beautiful and it was funny because it's like you know when i watched the film i'd seen a couple previews I'm assuming in movie theaters. I don't remember where I saw them, but I was aware of the film before I contacted you. And then after watching it, it was like, this is just, it's just magic, you know? And I think that for, like, for a cat, like, I've always loved animals. I've always had animals around me. However, I haven't really, with the exception of when I lived in Key West and I had six cats adopt me the day I moved in to this apartment where they obviously hung out beforehand, I never really thought about, you know, a stray cat's life. And one of the cats that I had was named Indy. And I found out this cat had this entire circuit that he did every day. I mean, he walked all over Key West and he'd go visit the old lady in the morning and she'd give him some cream and she'd, he'd go see the guy over here who would give him something else and he'd go to the store and hang out. And like he had this entire routine. And that's when I kind of started realizing that, you know, just because they're astray doesn't mean that they don't have things to do. And your film really oh, no, shows no, like, contrary. yeah, <laughs> I mean, they're busy. They got jobs. Well, that's and such stuff. a good story. It was great. I mean, I miss those cats terribly. And um, and it was hilarious. I mean, I moved in and I was kind of there by myself. And all of a sudden I turn and look and I've got six cats in my living room. It was like, oh, well, hello. And who are you? You know, and they stuck around. They'd come and go as they please. But Indy was really kind of the pack leader. And I mean, I would see him at the beach. I'd see him like at the tourist bar. It was like, what are you doing? You know, but he had his routine and he, he stuck to it. He was really good about it. And he had a really tight schedule, too, which I just loved, you know. That's it. We do have a couple of ca- uh, characters in the film. One of the Gomsa's character, the happy-go-lucky guy, the black and white cat, so who does cute. exactly the same thing. Oh, my God. I love him. It's it's amazing how much um, how much they get around and what they do and how little we actually know unless we devote the time to follow them around, which most of us don't have the time to do. Yeah, um, and it's something that I got to do when I was a kid because you know when you're a kid you have a lot more time than yeah, totally. when you're an adult and you care a lot more about more important things than when you're an adult. <laughs> True. Um, so making <laughs> making the film was actually really a you know super. Uh, comforting to me and like and, and and a way to get back to that way of existing and living and just following a cat around for a couple of days was you know i highly recommend it to anybody <laughs> it's kind of like a really cool almost like a retreat you know because it kind of it just mm-hmm. kind of puts you out of you just all of a sudden you're like where's the cat where's the cat and that becomes your entire obsession for the day and when you find the cat or you follow the cat around and the cat hasn't figured out that you're stalking it then it's it's amazing. I mean, Indy used to catch me like once in a blue moon and he'd actually hide. Like when he was at the tourist bar, if I showed up, it was like, nope, I'm going to hide. That's my, you know, it's kind of my mom. So I don't want to go home. That kind of thing. And I mean, anyone that thinks they can control a cat, I'll tell you, you're better than me because I sure can't control mine, you know, and they're good cats, but they, they have their own. They're not here to please us like dogs are. It's a whole different thing, you know. Exactly. So we need to take well, a... Qu- we've we've met with them a little bit less, and hopefully we can keep it that way. We can keep them 
Um, much manipulated by humans, you know? That's a really good point because, you know, it's a funny thing too. It's like when people look for dogs, they usually look for breed. When people look for cats, Mm -hmm. they usually pick a color. Mm-hmm. especially in America. Like, we don't know anything. Like, the UK's got the, the purebred cat thing down to a T. Here, we're like, oh, look, it's fuzzy. You know, it's like, this one's short-haired. So I think that that has really kind of helped with the gene pool because with the exception of those short-legged cats, I don't see people aggressively crossbreeding cats to get some new thing. Yeah, which, is, which I hope we can prevent as well because we don't need to mess with them. They're perfectly good the way they are. Right. In fact, that's what's so amazing about them. You know, they've... They've, they've, in a way, self-domesticated themselves and um, to, to coexist with us in the most optimal way over 10,000 years, you know, thousands of years. It's amazing. There's no reason for us to mess with that too much, you know? No, I agree with you. And I mean, if we mess with it, we're going to mess it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I need to take a quick break for station identification. I am talking to Jada Turan, producer and director of Keddy, one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen, and I'm honored to be interviewing you right now. So we'll be back in about a minute, minute and a half, so stay tuned, and we'll continue the interview. Hey, this is Cynthia, host of Primary Food, here with Anna Bonengel, a registered dietitian with Eat With Zest, eatwithzest.com, and we are here to talk about Bob's Red Mill and superfoods. So, Anna, what is a superfood anyway? One way to think about it is if you think of foods along a spectrum, there are a few foods with fewer nutrients, and then there are foods that are packed rich with nutrients and antioxidants. And so superfoods are those that are on the furthest on the scale in terms of having the most nutrients and antioxidants. Which foods are considered superfoods? Some are super well-known, like blueberries, kale, salmon. But now people are also going nuts over lesser-known foods like goji berries, acai, flax, and chia seeds. And a really popular one now is black garlic. So if I'm trying to eat better, should I go on a strictly superfood diet? Well, you know, superfoods are, of course, great. And I will say the more you eat, the better. However, eating only superfoods would make you deprived of essential nutrients from nourishing food groups like whole grains. Okay, got it. Well, that's great because our sponsor at HRN, Bob's Red Mill, produces a lot of delicious whole grain products. You know, to be honest, I'm a huge Bob's Red Mill fan. I love a lot of the the whole grains that they provide, but I particularly love they've come out with a blueberry hazelnut oatmeal cup. That is totally delicious. It's got classic superfoods like blueberries, but also some of the more trendy ones like flax and chia seeds. Um, it's It's a really nice mix of trend and tradition. Bob's Red Mill doesn't chase fads. They just keep working hard to offer as many delicious whole grain and organic food options as possible in an endless commitment to good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. And we are back. I am talking to Keddy director and producer Jada Turan. I am very excited about this. Jada, I just want to keep talking to you and find everything out. This is awesome. Thank you. So, how did you choose the cats that star in the film? <laughs> well, we uh, we did about three months of research before we started filming, where we had local filmmaker friends in Istanbul walk the streets as we had uh, in the previous summer before, um, when we first tried to figure out what our film could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and we asked these friends to go and literally walk every neighborhood and talk to people who they saw interacting with cats and ask people about the local famous cat <laughs> and oh. try had them try to find, you know, cats on boats, cats in hammams, cats in mosques, all, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And in the end, we had uh, roughly 35 cat stories that we had leads to before wow. we started filming. Wow. And as we were... As we started filming, that came down to 19, because mm-hmm. obviously not all cats show up when they're supposed to or where they're supposed to. <laughs> the nerve. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and out of that 19, we filmed about 10 fairly full stories over the two and a half months, which wow. is not a very long time for a documentary. Um, so it was a bit tough. But yeah. 
Um, we ended up with the seven that you see in the film through a process of elimination and sheer luck and mm-hmm. um, availability of the cat. <laughs> so, well, yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I was thinking is like when I was watching it, it was just like, how are you getting this much footage off of this stray cat? You know, it's like... It's pretty impressive. I mean, I'm assuming that some wanted no part of this project at all and that others were like, all right, I'll think about it, you know, because mm-hmm. just to be sure. followed around. Not everyone was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was uh, we were always with two cameras, at least. Um, and and uh, a lot of the action that you see of the cast mm-hmm. is we captured it at that time. Wow. So we didn't have to manipulate anything in the edit. Uh, the the wow. humans uh, who sort of helped narrate the cat stories were a little bit more, um, you know, uh, over the course of multiple days. But uh-huh. often the cats, the main main uh, action of the cats were we got in in single 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 takes, which was really amazing. But majority of them also did the same thing over and over again. You know, mm. the, the mom cat at the beginning of the film was taking food to her kittens she did that round all day every day yeah. we could rely on her she was like you know the Emmanuel Kant of cats <laughs> Emmanuel <laughs> Kant. Um, you know every day leaving at the same time doing the same thing and um, and there were other cats who would disappear for days and we'd, we'd wonder where they were oh, and then we'd get a phone call from the human who the, the human of the cat and mm-hmm. they'd say oh we you know psycho's back hurry mm-hmm. over and we were in a, a, a minivan seven of us in a minivan <laughs> we would dart across the city at any given moment and try to capture what we could of these cat stories oh my god i think you should make like a making of Ketty. that would be an awesome film too <laughs> <laughs> i wish we could go back and film some more but uh, i'm also glad that i had a deadline and i had to finish the film and get it out to the world because you know it's it, you could keep filming cats forever yeah yeah, and I mean, you know, as as we all know, politically, things have been really rough in Turkey for the past few years. And so does this film address any of it, either through metaphor or just kind of like pointing it out? Well, there's, uh, the film is not at all political on purpose because I wanted to tip the scales a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, I, I feel like Turkey and Istanbul gets a lot of press uh, and a lot of exposure just for the negative political stuff that's going on. And there's plenty of it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, you know, there, the, I felt there needed to be, uh, a dedicated, uh, project to highlight everything else, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, all the positive stuff, all the goodness in people, all the beauty of the city and this amazing thing about the cats. Uh, and in many ways by not, uh, overtly covering anything political, mm-hmm. I, felt like I was actually making a very political statement because I want this film, I wanted to make a film that in, if viewed 20, 30, 40 years from now would offer a different perspective of Turkey and Istanbul at this time in the world wow. and uh, not, not, not be restricted to the negative um, pers- you know, reputation yeah. that, is, that obviously news, uh, bad news can, can give anyone. Yeah. Um, but there are there are certain images in the film that are strictly there because uh, we were filming during some political uh, politically difficult times. Mm-hmm. So there's a few graffiti things here and there. There's mm-hmm. a couple of things that people will pick up on if they're looking for it. Right. And there, but it's not you know, and and the film just like it's not, it doesn't cover current politics. It also doesn't cover political issues about cats, cat welfare because. Yeah. Um, it's it's not. I didn't want to make an issue film or about um, how uh, how we should or shouldn't be with cats. I wanted yeah. to simply highlight this phenomenon as it is, and offer it as a point of discussion for all of us to have. And I think, I mean, the the more that people were, you know, the film is getting seen around the world, and the more discussions we're having, and. I'm talking to people like yourself, and there's, you know, everyone is expressing a very similar perspective of, you know, respecting cats for what they are instead of trying to see them as our pets only, yeah. you know. And yeah. there's efforts being made all over the world. In L.A. especially, there's there's um, there's an organization that places shelter cats in rodent-infested warehouses nice. and flower markets and stuff, and it makes me so happy because that's how 
it is naturally in Istanbul. Right. That's how you're and supposed it, you know, to do it. You know, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, it's so smart. And they feel they feel useful and purposeful, and everybody's happy. You know, so exactly. There's, there's a way where we can get to it. And I think that you know, sadly, with the climate that we're in these days, and people just being so ignorant, and you know, Muslim being such a scary word for so many people, I think that this is a really nice postcard for Turkey as well, because it's like, look, we have cats. You know what I mean? In a kind of a way, for someone who's so ignorant, that's going to be so afraid of this of a religious group. I think the cats humanize the country more. I mean, I loved Turkey and Istanbul. Everyone was super friendly. I was treated beautifully and so this whole racism that's going on right now really really upsets me and i feel like the film is kind of it you know it's it shows that that the turkish are human beings you know what i mean and it like sure these cats could really do a lot politically yeah and i hope it shows to people that we have more in common with each other than than not and cats can be you know uh, a platform over which we can you know, discuss those and, and see those, highlight those common shared commonalities. And, you know, that's what I think for me, that's what cats are there for. You know, in many ways, they they unite us in communities as well. You know, you um, even in, in Turkey, for example, people really unite together to take care of cats where municipalities or the local government can't really help them mm-hmm. or don't have the funds to help them. People come together and, you know, it, like in the film, there's the baker who says, well, you know, everyone has a running tab at the vet. Yeah, yeah. And vets, you know, vets will never turn away a street cat that's been injured. You know, they'll, they'll spend money out of their own pockets, you know. So it's, it's um, they are a unifying force. And nowadays, I think, and part of the reason why I think this film was so successful in the U.S. and in other places where it's opening is that it is, you know, it's 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 providing a counterbalance to all the heavy, uh, you know, negative things that are going on in the world, yeah. a lot of which we can do nothing about, yeah. that we are too far away from or too powerless to do anything about, but still feel the burden of. Mm-hmm. So then watch a film where you feel, okay, it's not all terrible. The whole world isn't going to hell. You know, we, yeah. all, we, can, we might be okay. I think it helps us in many ways. I mean, it, it's definitely left me with a warm, fuzzy feeling. You know what I mean? And it was just, it was one of these well, films that was like... I mean, I would love to go back to Istanbul anyway, but if I hadn't been there, I'd be like, oh my God, this is like the coolest city in the world, you know, because it really, I'm so used to seeing people like when I've traveled and stuff and people see cats, you know, they chase them out with a broom or they do this kind of thing or they're just kind of like this like, like messed up thing in the corner that kind of is hiding from everyone, you know, and this is more like, you know, the cat's walking down the sidewalk and it's like, hi, Joe, good morning, Fred, how you doing? You know, and they're, oh, hi, kitty, how you? And I just, I love the relationship that that's there because it's just, it's so, for lack of a better word, it's so human. And I hate that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to label these cats as humans. But it shows that animals have those courtesies and the same the same things that we do in terms of greetings and acknowledging other people. Like the cats also have this set of mores that they stick to. And probably Absolutely. better than we stick to ours, frankly, you know? Oftentimes, for sure. Yeah, seriously. I mean, you know, when cats fight, they just kind of scream and hiss. They never really beat each other to a pulp. Us, on the other hand, we, you know, well, if we could learn. <laughs> I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some tomcat fights that were brutal. Really? But, you know, in, in, there is no, there is no, uh, there's no high, hidden motive is the thing. It's a good like, point. They, they do, they do, you know, they do take each other down. They do things they're. They like you know there there will be older male cats that will go after the young um, young cat you mm-hmm. know kittens because that's it's, it's very like um, very much the same in the big cat world you know there's there's certain instinctual things that they do that could be interpreted as brutal but it's it's very straightforward there's nothing no hidden agenda with them and that's, that's true. part of the reason why I really appreciated growing up with them because um, oftentimes you know kids especially. And humans, we we tend to um, hide the reasons why we're actually upset with each other, or we try to be mean, we're mean to yeah. each other just for the sake of being mean, yeah. you know, and uh, or because we're testing out our hierarchy or something, you know. It's um, whereas cats really don't do that, and I find that's why I kind of find it funny when people say that they they think cats are unpredictable, because to me they're very predictable. They they do certain things. They they put boundaries on what you can do to them. 
That's very true. Clearly. That's very, very <laughs> true. You know, and then I'll ask someone, like, why wait, Why do you say that? And they'll be like, well, you know, I just pick him up and I want to cuddle him like a doggy. And then, he, you know, he, you know, scratches me. And I'm like, well, that's because, you know, cats don't actually like that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, it's little things, you know. That we, if we bother to take the time to figure out what the other actually likes rather than what we like for them to do yeah. for us, then, you know, that's the beauty about cats, that they teach you that. They teach you the, to be respectful um, by a, a single, you know, scratch or totally. you know, <laughs> one hiss. And you're like, OK, so that was not OK. Totally. I you know, totally. It's like, never mind. OK, we'll try something else. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, how does Istanbul feel about dogs? Um, you know, it's it's a bit a lot. It's a lot more controversial because, or in the sense, not controversial, but difficult subject because uh, you know, dogs are a little bit more threatening, and they uh, they have been known to attack people here and there in parks mm. and stuff because they do they do sometimes um, gang up and um, you know, form packs and stuff, and it could be a little bit intimidating, but. They're they're easier to capture and they're tagged and neutered mm-hmm. and you know vaccinated and all that stuff a lot easier than cats, and but you know unfortunately people uh, do have this misguided idea that they should get a dog, mm-hmm. and often they they get a dog as a puppy and they're living in an apartment building because very few people live in freestanding homes with gardens in Turkey mm-hmm. in Istanbul because it's too big of a city. It's like Manhattan. Yeah, it's um, huge and. And uh, and so, you know, and then after having the dog around for a couple of months and seeing that he's a little too big and actually needs to run a couple of times a day, uh, then they, you know, then they end up uh, leaving him on the streets or abandoning him somewhere, which is incredibly heartbreaking. And um, and, uh, you know, I there's a there's a short film called Tashkafa, actually, um, that explored the street the, the the story of the street dogs in Istanbul it's a lot sadder and uh, it's, it's just it's just a different kind of existence but yeah. I hope that we can you know we we remember that they're but at the same time like you know every winter for example I'll see I'll see people going out of their way to co- cover the street dogs up with blankets during snowstorms nice. you know like people really do make a, a huge effort for street animals. Nice. Um, even if they're not, you know, taking them home, because it's harder to take a dog home. Yeah. Um, and do, I mean, do these cats get adopted? Some of them, yeah, but they often, um, you know, they'll be one, they'll make it very clear to you that they want to go home with you. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll they'll come and sit, sit on your lap and not leave. They'll follow you all the way home, meowing, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, that's when you really get a clear idea that they want you to take them home. Uh, people will adopt kittens. I mean, the, the normal way that it has always functioned in, in my childhood as well was that, you know, sometime in March you'd hear them meowing and, you know, getting it on in the rooftop. <laughs> and then a month and a half or two later, you would hear little meows in the bushes of the backyards of apartments and you would go on like a kitten hunt and you would find the kittens, you'd find the mom. Um, and then based on how the mom was interacting with you, you'd know that you could help and be there and do stuff, you know? And, yeah. um, and, and then at some point, you know, hopefully past like that two month phase, then the kittens would start, you would pick kittens. Mm-hmm. People would pick it, pick a kitten, you know, and everybody in the apartment block or building would would you know be mindful of one or two kittens, and that's how it would go. And oh, you wow. never like it wasn't the idea to lock them up in a house until very recently, because it's just the streets are a lot more crowded. There's uh, so many more cars than yeah. there were when I was a kid. And the same way that people don't let their children play on the streets anymore, they also don't let their cats go back out to the to the streets, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always, when I'm talking to people in Istanbul as well, and I'm, you know, I, you know, I, and and the one of the themes in the film is is about how cats are mirrors to us. Um, I think it's it's you know all these things that we are concerned about for the welfare of cats. It's interesting that we don't necessarily think that this is an issue for humans. You know, a lot of people it's will funny. complain, oh, you know, I won't let him go out because I'm worried that he's going to get run over by a car. Yeah. And then and then we wonder why we don't let our kids. I mean, I'm sure maybe you as well as when you were a child, you were able to walk a couple of blocks to the playground or go over to your neighbor's uh, house or something, which 
people just don't do anymore. You know, yeah, that's true. There's just too many people. Now, know? we so, were thrown out of the house uh, at 10 a.m. and told not to come back in time for, you know, stay out till dinner. <laughs> it was just like, you're gone. Exactly. You know? That was actually, we had to. We were kicked out of the house, right? <laughs> totally. Play, come back for dinner. Totally. Which, I mean, now it's like, it's the complete opposite. You need, like, you need to have camp for kids. Yeah. And, you know, activities and all these things and, uh, you know, it's a different world. And so in that way, you know, we have to also, I think it helps for us to analyze the kind of lives that we're trying to lead, lead and, you know, the lives that we put our children through and, and think a little bit about what that, what that is and how that feels, you know? Yeah, totally. And I mean, there's so, I mean, there's so many more people now and there's so much more fear, you know, everyone's like, it's, it's either straight to like, let your pet out and it's either going to get killed and you to let out your kid, it's going to be kidnapped, you know, and there's nothing yeah. in between. I mean, we were gone all the exactly. time. I mean, I don't even know where we went, you know, and we'd tell our parents at <laughs> night and they'd be like, oh, that's so great. You know, and it's like nowadays, God, people get grounded for like, you know, going to the candy store two blocks away on their own. And it's sad because exactly. it's it's just a whole different development and a whole different level of, you know, independence. And it's the same with cats. You know, it's like a, a good street cat, man. That thing is smart, you know, and contrary to like oh, yeah. a house cat who can be smart, but they just haven't had the experience. It's important stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll, I'll admit there are some cats who don't want to be street cats. I mean, oh, yeah. There are some cats who really want to be homebodies. Yeah. That's also fine, just like people. Some people don't feel comfortable. You know, they'll never go camping, for example. Totally. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> you know, and, and I that's also to be respected. You know, everybody can do their own thing. But it's uh, it, it's, it's nice to be given the opportunity, I think. And, and um, it's, it, also this was something that we were trying to capture as we were filming these cats in Istanbul. I was also trying to find people who were just lounging, you know, outside, yeah. uh, on the piece of grass, you know, and you see a lot less of that as than you used to when, when I was a kid, people just like would set up a little picnic somewhere and just yeah. sit there and, you know, hang out. Now you really, the only people you see are maybe homeless people or, mm -hmm. you know, sort of in, in between people who don't have a home, don't have a job, mm -hmm. you know, um, which is very interesting to me that we have to, you know, and we have to go through so many we have to really make an effort to get off the grid and to, you know, seriously, <laughs> to, to, you know, if we don't have a credit card and a, and a home loan, then we're not considered, uh, you know, we don't exist. It's true. Know, we've it's gone really, really to the extreme. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we need to learn from cats. Seriously, you know, it's go like back, go back to nature a bit. We need some cat lessons here, big time. I mean, mm -hmm. that was the other thing that I loved about your film because as we're talking about like different personalities and humans, I mean, every character in your film, they all have different personalities. You know, it's not like here's a cat and this is what a cat does. You know, it's like like us. I mean, every mm -hmm. animal's an individual, and it's really, really portrayed beautifully. And it's this film, and I hate, I don't want to say this because it's not right, but it's almost like. <sighs> What I'm trying not to say is that cats have been humanized in your documentary where they haven't. I feel like your documentary has given cats the ability to be cats and have humans take a look in their lives and not necessarily like a Richard Attenborough documentary of like, this is what these animals do during the day. And that's what I found really mm -hmm. fascinating. And, you know, like one likes to be social, one's kind of cranky, one likes to hang out with people, the other not so much. And I love that because so many people think that when they get a cat, it's going to be exactly like the cat they had before or like the grandmother's cat they had when they were five, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, no, every single being has a separate personality. Absolutely. And I think it helps. The, actually, I think it helps the anthropomorphism and reverse anthropomorphism. I mean, sometimes I think of like, you know, I'll stop myself, even in the streets of Istanbul, I'll stop myself from just going up to a random cat and, you know, petting it because yeah. I'll, I'll immediately imagine it as, you know, let's say it's like a six-year-old cat or something, male mm -hmm. cat, and I'll I'll try to imagine him as a like a 38-year-old guy. <laughs> and just I like I wouldn't go up to a 38-year-old guy and be like, you, 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 you know, I shouldn't do that to a cat either <laughs> when I... Because when I think like that, it's actually really weird that we that I should go up to this cat. And so, you know, I'll often try to find the more, I'll sit next to the cat, uh -huh. make eye contact, be, you know, a little bit of, you know, is everybody happy with each other? And then, 
make a make a move, you know? Totally. <laughs> but, it's like we good? Okay. Yeah. It's all good. You know? yeah. It's always exactly. good to ask permission before you touch something too. So that's very good of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've also learned the hard way. I've been scratched so many times. My poor mother had to take me to get rabies shots. Oh, twice. God. Oh, so, God. You know. <laughs> I was that kid, too. It's like, this I'm going to love him fun. and kiss him and hug him and ow. You know? I was like, damn it. <laughs> but, I mean, they're smart. Oh, my God, Jada, I don't want to stop talking to you, but we are out of time. And I'm so bummed <laughs> out. I've loved this. I've had such a good time. Can you tell our Likewise. listeners? Thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, this is uh, you have. This is why I love this show. Is because I can call people that have done amazing things like you, and you guys will talk to me, and it's really exciting for me. So thank you for helping me fulfill this. Um, for people that want to learn more about the film or where they can see it, can you tell us that? Sure. Um, we have a website, kiddiefilm.com, so K-E-D-I-F-I-L-M.com, and our Facebook page, Kiddie. Um, is also very informative about where there are still screenings because there might, I think there's still some uh, theatrical screenings going on across the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've also uh, releasing the film theatrically around the world as we speak. So and exciting. you can also see it um, uh, as part of YouTube Red's new platform uh, if you subscribe. And then in November, I believe, DVDs, Blu rays, and iTunes. Uh, sales and rentals will start and um, I'm happy to say that that a few of the stories that didn't make it into the film as well as some extended interviews and some goofy behind the scenes stuff is going to be on the DVD and Blu-ray so oh, cool. that, sh- that, that should be fun that's so exciting <laughs> and everything is really on our website so you can get all kinds of information you can contact us and on our Facebook page, we answer all the messages so wow. you know if you have any questions you can always reach us too oh my god you guys are great so thank you so much thank for talking so to much. me. I love this. Good luck with the film. Um, you guys thank need you. to see this. Cat lovers, find this, watch it. You'll get warm and fuzzy. You will love this. It's absolutely a dream. And for everybody else, uh, thank you guys for listening. I will be back next week with a brand new show. Until then, be nice to cats and take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Fresh Pickings is a podcast by Heritage Radio Network, presented by Bob's Red Mill. Love learning about food? Get more superfood for your brain with the featured podcast miniseries, Fresh Pickings. Go to bobsredmill.com slash freshpickings. Are you confused about the difference between muesli and granola? Welcome to Fresh Pickings. I'm your host, Kat Johnson, and today we're going to help you sort out that difference by doing a deep dive into the world of muesli. On Fresh Pickings, we're taking a closer look at everyday ingredients, and muesli is full of some of my favorites. On this episode, I'll talk to Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past, about what makes muesli muesli. We'll talk about its old world history and how muesli is made in different parts of the world. Then, Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene, is bringing us a very special interview with Bob Moore, the founder of Bob's Red Mill. There's so many nice ways of eating well, eating good whole grains that are healthy for you. Stay tuned.
So on my show, HR and Happy Hour, I love to play trivia, and I like to write it for the people on the show with me. So today I'm going to have our engineer, David, play a little trivia with me. David, are you game? Okay, Kat, I'll give it a shot. I'll say a characteristic, and you tell me if I'm describing muesli or granola. Got it? Got it. Okay. This is made of oats, nuts, seeds, and fruits. Granola. Actually, it's both. Wait, so they're the same? Not exactly, but they're both based on the same ingredients. So what's the difference? All right, dude, I'm asking the questions here. Uh. Next one. This breakfast item can either be served cold or hot. Muesli. Uh, Wrong again. It's both. Uh, I don't like this quiz. It's okay. I have to admit I wasn't being very fair. Muesli and granola are very, very similar. The biggest difference is that granola is baked and muesli is raw. You'll usually find that muesli is looser, but that's because granola is made with sweeteners and fat, which would either be butter or oil, and that binds it together in clumps or clusters. Either way, though, they're both a great breakfast. The invention of muesli is credited to Swiss physician and nutritional pioneer Maximilian Bercher Benner around 1900. That's Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past on Heritage Radio Network and our resident food historian. His original recipe consisted of oat flakes, raw apples, condensed milk, nuts, and lemon juice. The first muesli was based on the diet of alpine shepherds, who Dr. Bircher Benner saw as being particularly virile and healthy. He prescribed muesli to his patients and saw overwhelming improvements in their health. Dr. Bircher Benner determined that much of the sickness experienced by his patients could be alleviated with increased exercise and a more nutritious diet. So how did Dr. Bircher Benner come up with the name muesli? Well, he originally called his concoction Duspies, or the dish. It was later referred to as Bircher muesli, and eventually just muesli, which means mix. Okay, so is muesli just a European thing? Muesli is wildly popular all across Europe, but it picked up significant popularity in the U.S. in the mid-1960s, with the increased interest in healthful eating and vegetarian diets. The first mass-produced muesli was introduced in 1959, by Somalon AG, now Biofamilia AG, a Swiss company that got its start with muesli. Somalon AG used Dr. Bircher Benner's recipe to create Bio Bircher Muesli, the healthy food for the whole family. Bio Bircher Muesli was exported to Germany, the U.S., Austria, England, and the Netherlands in 1960. In the 1970s, Somalon introduced